If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. When you know the Lord is your Savior, the longer you walk with Him, the more you long to see Him face to face. This was true of both Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. Would you read with me? I'll read along with me, uh, beginning here in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought him in, the child Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, Jesus is about eight, years, eight days old here, then he took him into his arm and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow unto the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers and at the very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. People of secular medicine have often written about the power of joyful anticipation upon the human body. In a recent neurological article, a journal showed that when even pathological gamblers were asked to think about a future experience, such as an upcoming vacation, they were better able to curb their impulses and choose long-term gratification over short-term gratification. It shows that anticipating a future exciting event can help us get through a difficult present situation. Anticipation implies reward, and reward can be a powerful motivator. These scientists and psychologists point to what they call habit loops. To prove their point, they speak of cue, routine, and reward. 
cue triggers routine and routine yields reward. By actively looking for things to look forward to, you can build more discipline, they say, and motivation in any area of your life in which both are lacking. The author of this particular article said anticipation can be a stepping stone to hope. And we should all have at least one thing in our lives that we always look forward to. There are many things in our lives that we look forward to. Christmas morning presents a particular opportunity for children of similar age to those who sang for us this morning. Christmas morning and the anticipation of opening presents may compel the little ones to be on their best behavior, especially in meeting appropriate bedtimes on Christmas Eve. Potential promotions at work often convince us to demonstrate the best work ethic, the dream of being accepted into your particular Ivy League school of choice certainly pushes a high school student to fervently prepare for the SAT test, among others. Anticipation of reward does drive us all often to more disciplined living. In our Christmas passage before us that we've read this morning, we have two godly saints who certainly had something to look forward to, and that anticipation did lead to godly perseverance and, and joyful living in their lives. So as we begin this morning, I think it's important to remember that we're in an Old Testament context here. The New Testament church is yet to begun, or to begin, that we'll see in Acts chapter two, the man and the woman that we will consider this morning are, are both long in their years. Most notable about their age is that they had served the Lord with all of their life for most of their lives. They were literally persevering in anticipation of seeing Jesus Christ physically into the sunset days of their lives. Their perseverance was the fruit of their anticipation. Their perseverance was the fruit of their anticipation. Their faithfulness was not merely underpinned by anticipation of short-term temporary reward. There would have been really no longevity to their faithfulness if, if that were the case. So what's the nature of the anticipation that would produce a long life of faithful living under the Lord and his word. Their faithfulness was the fruit of anticipating physically seeing the Christ child. And for the believer, really, there is no greater anticipation. I can remember as a child eagerly awaiting to see my dad after he would been gone on a long road trip. I can recall some years ago, even in our own county here, as a presidential campaign of George W. Bush was coming through town and thousands were gathering at the Lake County Farm Park. Many gathering were abuzz with anticipation of seeing potentially the next president of our country. For the Christian though, even seeing a father you love or a presidential candidate 
cannot compare to physically seeing the Savior. Why? Well, my friends, a dad or a president could never forgive sin. For Simeon and Anna, they lived their lives to see who our passage calls the consolation of Israel, the light unto the Gentiles, and the redemption of God's people. We've already read the text, but I would like to focus on a couple phrases here as we conclude to the end of our Christmas message this morning. The text says for Simeon that he was looking in verse 25 for the consolation of Israel. I believe when Dr. Luke was penning these words or speaking these words to Theophilus, his amanuensis, if you will, the writer of what Luke spoke under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Luke was probably thinking of Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2. Simeon had lived his whole life to visually see who Isaiah calls the consolation of Israel. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended and her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. For Simeon, the most central blessing and reality that the consolation of Israel could bring was the forgiveness of his own personal sin. Yes, he's called the Lord's Christ, Yahweh's Messiah. That's true in the text. He's called the light of the revelation to the Gentiles. Yes, that's true that the salvation of not just the Jewish individual and nation, but also the salvation of all Gentile nations and individuals that make up those nations comes through this Christ child. He's called the glory of the people of Israel, not because of what he could offer as a ruler, but because of who he was as a savior. And we know that when someone trusts Christ as savior, that that grace radically transforms their person and the way they live. And often when divine transformation comes, or every time divine transformation comes through a born-again experience and a life is changed, that changed life does influence other lives around them. The Bible says that that person becomes a, a saver of life unto life, we hope, but often a, a saver of death unto death. The text says here that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was a sign to be opposed. And when he changes a life, Luke goes on to say here very, very clearly that he's not only a sign to be opposed, but in verse 35, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts might be what? Might be revealed. 
the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, that the consolation of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ brings to man is comprehensive, isn't it? It's thorough. It radically transforms who we are and the way we live. As we surrender our life to his life, we take on his life. And Jesus does desire to be a personal savior. Anna is looking for the redemption of Israel. In addition to the consolation of Israel, she's looking for the redemption of Israel. And as Luke speaks these words, and they're written down under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Luke's thinking probably of Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 3 and beyond, which reads like this. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl. And my name is continually blasphemed all the day. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day, I am the one who is speaking, here I am. Break forth, shout joyfully together. So whereas Simeon was looking for personal and national spiritual salvation, this dear aged lady was looking not only for that, but in addition to being freed from inner turmoil, she knew that the Lord Jesus Christ eventually would be freedom from external turmoil, from the physical enemies that the believer may have as well, not only now, but certainly in a future kingdom. Yes, the Lord saves from personal enemies. Any enemy external to us that is opposed to the Christ child will have no ultimate hold on us, either now or forever. The consolation of Israel that saves from sin from within also saves from enemies without. I've always found Luke's testimony of these two aged saints intriguing because the text never says that Simeon and Anna were looking for a king to rule, but a savior to die. The nature of the anticipation of waiting to see a temporary ruler compared to a savior who offers eternal life is exclusively in its nature quite different. Sin eternally separates us from God. The only light of the revelation to the Gentiles, the Lord's Christ, is he who can remove that separation of ourselves from God. Luke wrote earlier, didn't he, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, For unto you is born this day, as the angel exclaimed to the shepherds on the hillside, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Matthew in his gospel in chapter 1 and verse 21, again the angel proclaims to Mary, For she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
because he will save his people from their sins. True Old Testament believers entrusted their lives and their souls to the Christ child who was yet to come. True Old Testament believers understood saving faith that was necessary for them to be forgiven of their sins by a savior, not to live under the rule of a king. There had to be a cross for the salvation of a soul long before there could be a king to come and to rule a kingdom. There remained intense anticipation in both Simeon and Anna to see the Savior personally and physically in whom they had already entrusted their souls to spiritually. They eagerly awaited seeing this baby and it changed the way they live. It says here that Simeon personally walked with God. The text says that he was righteous and devout. The text says that the Spirit of God was consistently upon him. And what rich, sweet communication he had with the Spirit of God who was even able to communicate to him. Of course, this is before the completion of the revelation of the whole of the Bible, but the Spirit of God was able to reveal to him the exact time that the Christ child had come. And that when he visibly saw him, he knew that he was holding and beholding the consolation of his own soul and the consolation, the salvation of Israel. Verses 29 to 32 continues to underpin that this man was spiritually devoted to this Christ child. He prays. He maybe even sings in the context of a prayer here. Now, Lord, you are releasing me, your bondservant, to depart in peace. I've physically seen my consolation. I have persevered all my life for this moment. I'm now prepared to breathe my last. This consolation of Israel is your salvation. This consolation of Israel has been prepared in the presence of all people to look unto him as the author and finisher of, this, of their faith. And 32 proves that point as he says that this consolation of Israel is the light of revelation not just to the Jews but to every soul, to every Gentile soul. Anna, her anticipation also compelled her to live in a persevering fashion. Her service included faithful living under a godly heritage. She would have been a woman that would have learned from her ancestors what it meant to be godly and she herself as a born again woman looking for the redemption of Israel, would have been compelled by that saving grace to live by sanctifying grace the whole of her life. She was a woman that had persevered through life's most extreme difficulties. 
She had been married for seven years, then widowed, and never remarried again. By the time we find her in the text, she's over four score years old. And the text says that she daily ministered. She never left the temple. She not just was there physically, she served spiritually night and day with fasting and prayer. And this was a gal that had some friends who also shared in her anticipation of seeing the redemption of Israel. Someone who lives in a persevering fashion, looking physically for the appearing of their Christ, their Jesus, their salvation, their redemption physically, has an influence. I find it very interesting as soon as she is an eyewitness to seeing Simeon beholding the consolation of Israel. She has an immediate impulse to go and to influence those she had influenced. Verse 38, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to who? To all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This was a lady who served the Lord privately, but because of that private service to the Lord, she naturally had a supernatural influence on a great company of people who also learned to live under the same reason which she lived, was to see the physical redemption of Israel. Anticipation is a powerful tool if we are looking and living for the right reason. As we close this morning, I would like to just emphasize here a couple things. I would like for us to notice here the very simplistic lifestyle of expectant faith. There's nothing extravagant about the life of Simeon, and there's certainly nothing extravagant about the life of Anna. Both of their lives can be summed up very simply, devotionally, and practically. Simeon and Anna would have also been two faithful souls, a very small remnant in the Jewish nation. The Bible tells us, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that those who were looking for the physical Savior who had already been transformed by him and saving faith in their hearts were very, very few. Those who were looking for a physical Savior were very, very few. The majority were looking for a physical King. So these two aged saints were were rare in their simplicity, but their faith drove them to live simply unto Christ-likeness. But they did so not being very popular people in their culture. And God's grace would compel us under those same goals, under those same ends, to live simply in anticipation of seeing our Christ physically, and that day's coming for us, isn't it? Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told to comfort each other with those words. 
we may see Jesus physically today. Possibly before the end of this Christmas service. That anticipation compels us to live holy lives. Isn't that what John said in 1 John 3? We live holy lives because someday in anticipation of seeing him just as he is. They're simple people. They're not popular people. But to them, neither mattered because of who they were looking for and who they were living for. May I ask you this morning, what compels you to live every day? Cue, response, reward. Is what you anticipate each and every day by its nature temporary? Or is it eternal? Throughout the course of any day that God gifts us, do you think about seeing him physically? Him who has restored you spiritually already, do you long to see him? Because if you do, you know then what it means not to just be saved by his grace, but to persevere by his grace. Amen. James, a Jewish man, a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, said, The husbandman stands at the door, and he waits. His return is imminent. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 26, 27, and 28, that the Lord Jesus' return, physical return in the clouds is, is, is imminent. And would you be found ashamed before him at his appearing? Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, that for us, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're in him, certainly we have an eternal home in heaven. But he says in chapter 1 that for some believers, there may not be an abundant entrance into heaven, though all will be here, be there. Paul tells Timothy that, that those who, with great eager anticipation, look for the appearing of Christ, there's actually a crown, a unique and special reward awaiting those who eagerly await with anticipation the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that anticipation drives why we live. It compels us to continue to live by grace, that same grace that saved us. Let's pray together.